I said earlier, we want to thank the veterans for their service, so we do thank you uh, for all of those who have served this great country. But as we gather here today, we're going to finish up this series of sermons on, the, on appropriateness and modesty that we've been looking at. And hopefully you're catching on to a theme that, well, modesty isn't just about apparel. Modesty is about behavior. It's about speech and apparel, right? Uh, there's lots of different aspects of modesty and immodesty. And so as we think about today's lesson, brethren, I want us to really kind of get into now, I'm not going to do a recap. Uh, for those of you who haven't heard the, the last two week sermons, uh, if you go to our website um, at uh, LincolnParkChurchOfChrist.org, you can catch them there. Or if you go to our YouTube page, you can catch them there as well, and you can see those two weeks worth of sermons. It should be on. Yeah, it's on. They're checking my mic. Yeah, there you go. Testing, testing. Yeah, I'll scoot it up a little bit. Usually I talk loud enough to where it captures it. I wonder if there's a signal problem. I'll stand by the main mo. Oh, wait, there it goes. I can hear it now. All right. We're going to not start over, but for those of you who want the last two, the last two weeks' worth of lessons, uh, they're on our, uh, our website, uh, LincolnParkChurchOfChrist.org, but you also go to our YouTube page as well, and you can catch both of them there. Uh, as we've been, as we, we have been looking at different aspects of modesty and appropriateness. We've been looking at various passages of scripture. We've been looking at guidelines. Today, though, we're going to look at responsibility. As we think about this lesson, what is a Christian's responsibility? You know, we have, we've, we have already seen, uh, last week we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. We talked about the idea that, that in the New Testament there's a priesthood, is there not? And in that priesthood, we know that Christians make up God's priests. We know that we are his royal priesthood. We are a people for his own possession. And as we think about, brethren, uh, that aspect of Scripture, now I want you to open your Bibles to 2 Peter. This one's not going to be on the screen behind me. But if you open up to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5-7, through 7, uh, we're going to look at that just briefly because it's an, it's an important aspect of Scripture to look at royal priesthood uh, that we've seen in 1 Peter. And then we get to 2 Peter, and he's going to give us some information in chapter 1 and verse 5 through 7. He says we need to basically apply all diligence. And I want you to see what we need to apply all diligence to. Because in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 through 7, I'm not going to read it word for word, but notice that it says applying all diligence. We need to make every effort. That's what that means. And so the first thing that we need to make every effort in is what? Moral excellence. Have you guys ever really thought about that? And you think about your faith, you think about appropriateness, you think about modesty versus immodesty. We need to make every effort at moral excellence. And what's the next one? Knowledge. We need to make every effort to accumulate knowledge. Not just knowledge in general, but knowledge as to God's expectations for his creation. If you wish to be a new creation in Christ, you've given your life over to the Lord, then you've been baptized for the remission of your sins, you received the gift of the Holy Spirit, God added you to the church, and you are to long for the pure milk of the word. Isn't that what it says? Like babes, we're to long for the pure milk of the word. So we need to do what? We need to strive to understand the will of God. We need to understand uh, all that he requires of us. And so make every effort for moral excellence, every effort. Uh, uh, Effort for knowledge and then self-control brethren self-control is something that we all desperately need in society make every effort towards perseverance you know what that means devotion to God 
And when you think about appropriateness, you think about modesty, when you think about devotion to God, are the things that you do and the decisions you make, is it because you're making every effort to be devoted to God? Or are you making more efforts to be devoted to self and my own desires and my own pleasures versus to God? And then this, this is the next one, and we're going to park here in a minute uh, after I finish this, but make every effort to live a life of what? What does it say? Godliness. If you're following along in your Bible, it says godliness. Make every effort at godliness. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. Make every effort at brotherly kindness. Make every effort at love. So you see, brethren, there's a priesthood in the New Testament. And we, as Christians who have been baptized and added to the kingdom, make up that priesthood. And as we make up that priesthood, he gives us some instructions. He gives us some guidelines. Does he not? In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5-7. through 7. So I want you to think about one of those. Uh, I mean, we really could really park and just do whole lessons on each and every one of them. But the one I want to uh, look at this morning is godliness. Brethren, ask yourself, what does godliness mean in verse 6? Make every effort at godliness. What does that mean? Have you ever thought about what that means? Have you, have you pondered what that means? Have you considered it? It simply means that we're to be like God. We're to be like God in all ways, in all manners. And this means, brethren, in our manner of dress, in our behavior, in our speech, in every facet of our lives, we are to strive to be like God. Well, how is God? Holy, righteous, merciful, appropriate, loving, compassionate, kind. I mean, how many adjectives do you want to throw out? There's so many adjectives that we could throw out. But the point is we are to make every effort to, uh, to strive to live a life of godliness. We're to uh, live a life of moral excellence. We're to live a life, a life that has self-control and brotherly kindness and love. And so, brethren, as we look at this, God expects the world to see his light shining through his priesthood. Amen? He expects his light to be shining through his priesthood because others are looking at us to set the example. Why? Because we're God's representatives to the world. Why does it matter what you wear? Why does it matter how you behave? Why does it matter how you act? Because if you are God's representatives to the world, then others are looking at you and they're doing what? They're judging, the, uh, they're judging God and his kingdom based on your behavior because you claim to represent God. You claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you willfully became a disciple of Jesus Christ. So brethren, as God's royal priesthood, we are commanded to glorify God in all of our actions. Think about 1 Corinthians chapter 10 on the screen behind me in verse 31. I want you to look at that because it says, Therefore, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I love that simple little verse there because it says, whatever you do. Does that leave anything out? Right? Appearance, behavior, speech, whatever you do, do all that you do to the glory of God. You know, yesterday I was watching something on television, and I was sitting there, and I was just a little, a little shocked by it. And th there was an in individual, he was being interviewed, and during the interview, he decides to, uh, he decides to invoke the name of the Lord. I want, to th I want to thank the Lord my God, and then I want to thank this person, that person, and then he immediately drops F-bombs. Like, three of them in a row, right? He was emotional. And, and, and But he invoked the name of the Lord, and then he immediately starts to, starts to swear, right? What does that do for the Christian witness? 
What does that do when, I, when we think about modesty? You see how modesty isn't just right behavior. It's not just apparel, but it's also speech, right? For how we conduct ourselves as God's representative to the world. Because I'm pretty sure if somebody's thanking the Lord Jesus, they probably consider themselves a Christian of one sort or another, right? We know that there's the Bible definition, but then we also know that there's the worldly definition. But when you think about that, Brethren, we have to be careful because we are the representatives of the, of the world, to, uh, to, of God to the world. And like it or not, we're going to be judged by the world. Isn't that why the world often has this term they use for, uh, for Christians? Oh, yeah, what's that term? Come on. Hypocrites, right? Why do people of the world call Christians hypocrites? They don't live by God's standards, so how dare they call us hypocrites? Well, they do so because we claim to be different. We claim to be a royal priesthood. We claim to be God's representatives. We claim to shine the light of Christ. And so when we don't do these things, then they call us hypocrites. And so, brethren, you can see so sometimes it is, that term is deserved. So we must ask ourselves this morning, does our appearance, our behavior, our attitude, right, our speech, out in the world, does it bring glory to God? Ask yourself that question. Does our appearance, our behavior, our speech... Uh, show that we are imitators of God. Well, why is that important? Because in Ephesians chapter 5 that we're going to talk about tonight during the evening service, we're going to look at a little bit of chapter 4 and a little bit of chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians. It tells us that we are to walk in Christ. We are to walk in the ways of the Lord. But in chapter 5 it says we are to be imitators of God. Well, if we are his chosen people are to be imitators of God, how do we do that if we, have, if we live lives of immodesty? If, right, if we're immodest in our behavior, immodest in our speech, immodest in our peril, how do, I represent, how do I represent Christ and God to the world? How can I claim to be an imitator of God, somebody who walks with Christ, if I do the things of the world that will bring pleasure or, or, or approval to the, by the world? And so, brethren, our appearance out in the world, it starts with our clothing, and it bleeds over into our behavior and all other areas like speech. And as the royal priesthood, brethren, we are appropriately, uh, are, are we appropriately representing God? And these are the questions that we must ask ourselves. In this next passage of scripture on the screen behind me, we see 1 Corinthians, or actually Luke chapter 16 and verse 13. And it tells us, you remember what Jesus was saying, that you know, no servant can serve two masters, for either he's going to love the one and hate the other, or he's going to be loyal to the one and despise the other, right? And so Jesus is telling us that you must choose. You know, I was just talking to the, the teens in the junior high this morning. Sam was in the class, wherever Sam is, right? She could, she could vouch for this. I was talking to them about how we have a choice to make. We have decisions to make. There's one of two teams. And based on how you live your life is going to determine whether or not you've chose the right team. It's going to be apparent to those around you. It's going to be apparent to those who know you. It's going to be apparent to your co-workers and your family and your friends. Whose team you chose to be on. For Jesus says you cannot serve both God and mammon. You cannot serve both God and Satan. And so we must choose whether we're going to live for God or live for Satan in worldliness. So you see, brethren, we must choose. We cannot straddle the fence, and we surely can't be pleasing to both Satan and God at the same time. You think about the book of James, in James chapter 4, and verse 4 and 5, and the scriptures tell us, it says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is what? Enmity with God. Enmity means strife, ill will. You have strife or ill will of God if you're a friend of the world. He says, Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world does what? Makes himself an enemy of God. 
Who here wants to be an enemy of God? Well, all you have to do is be uh, uh, friendly towards the world. You know, many times, you know, and I'll talk about fellowship here in a little bit, but oftentimes we want to fellowship with the world. And people will say, Jesus fellowship with the world? Jesus ate with the sinners? Yeah, he did. But he didn't do it to uh, give approval to their behavior. He didn't do it for entertainment's sake. He did it to do what? To teach them, to instruct them, to rebuke them, and to encourage them that there's a better way. You see, brethren, there's certain types of fellowship that we could have with those who are worldly individuals that actually gives approval to their behavior. And we have to be careful when it comes to that because the scriptures tell us what we're supposed to do. So ask yourself, as a priest of God, and you, if you are a Christian, you are absolutely a priest. As a priest of God, are you trying to serve two masters? As a priest of God, are you trying to be friends with the world? Is your loyalty with God or is your loyalty to the world? These are the types of questions that we must ask ourselves, brethren. Because if you say you're loyal to, uh, loyalty uh, or you're loyal to God, do your words match your lifestyle? Or do your words condemn you or does your lifestyle condemn you because they betray your words? You see, brethren, these are the types of questions we always must ask ourselves. In 1 John, in chapter 2, and verse 15, we see... That it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, what? The love of the Father is not in him. You see, brethren, we know this because modesty and appropriateness are defined by God. He gives us uh, standards for morality. He gives us standards for behavior. He gives us standards for appearance. He gives us standards for dress. He gives us standards in every aspect of life. And it really comes down to the, well... Are you going to decide to side with God? Are you going to choose God and his standard? Or are you going to choose the opposite? And so, brethren, it goes back to not serving two masters. It goes back to not being uh, uh, friendly towards the world in a way that we give approval to their, uh, to their worldliness. But it goes back to even the idea of just simply modest versus immodest. How can you determine modest for immodest? Well, you read the scriptures. You start to study to show yourselves approved, right? Isn't that what the scriptures tell us? That we are to show ourselves approved like a workman who needs not to be ashamed? And so it doesn't matter, brethren, what part of the uh, world that you live in. If there's appearance standards, if there's behavioral standards, if there's speech standards that are uh, as guidelines that are contrary to the word of God, then we must, by all things, we must be brought back into subjection to the very word of God. Because if we're living contrary to God, we're an abomination to God. Brethren, don't allow that uh, simple fact to, ex to escape you. That there are standards that society through mankind says, are, says that are fine. They say they're acceptable, but are an abomination to God. Brethren, don't allow, that to, to, don't allow yourself to miss that point. Because you can never be found pleasing to God if you're doing the things that God says is an abomination. You can't, you know, uh, straddle the fence. You can't be lukewarm like we were talking about with the kids this morning. We must be hot or we must be cold. Otherwise, Jesus says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And so at the end of the day, our responsibility to Christ is what? Godliness. It goes back to the second Peter chapter one through five through seven. You know, strive every day. Make it your uh, make a make an effort at moral uh, moral excellence. Make every effort at godliness and brotherly kindness and love. 
You see, brethren, Ephesians chapter 5, it tells us that we are to be imitators of God. And in 1 Peter, it tells us that we are to be holy. Why? Because it says, I am holy. Not Peter, but God. Be holy, for I am holy, God says. And then the last thing that we need to look at today, brethren, is how do we take a stand against immodesty? How do we take a stand against immodesty? Well, it's pretty simple because it's the exact same way that we've been instructed to take a stand against all forms of sin. As representatives of God, brethren, we must abstain from worldliness. And that means that societal standards that are contrary to godliness, we must abstain from those things. But we also know that we shouldn't have any, anything to do with worldliness from a fellowship standpoint. And this gets back to what I was saying a moment ago. Yes, we know in Scripture that Jesus ate with sinners. But it wasn't to entertain himself. And it wasn't to be one of the guys. It wasn't to kind of to fit into the group. No, it was to do what? To encourage to encourage them of a better way, to rebuke them, to admonish them, to let them know that the kingdom of God is at hand. And if they do not repent, then what? Then they're all going to likewise perish. And we know that, brethren, because that's what the scriptures tell us. And so the fellowship that I say we can't partake of is the type of fellowship that's going to approve worldliness. You remember what uh, the Apostle Paul, he wrote to the people uh, in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and verse 17. It tells us, therefore, come out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. Come out from them. Come out from who? Come out from those in the world, or anybody else for that matter, who are living world, worldly, ungodly lives. And we need to take a stand, brethren. That means to not participate in the sin. And this is the hardest part, is it not? Isn't this the toughest part? You know, to, to not give in to that peer pressure, to not give in to the sin, to not give in to all the, uh, the worldly ways. Because we understand, brethren, and when you look at Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, he wrote to the people of Ephesus, and he tells us this in Ephesians chapter 5. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance with the kingdom of God, Christ or God. Let no one deceive you, brethren, with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God is going to come upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. That's a pretty simple uh, passage of scripture to understand. There's not really a lot of gray area there. It's pr pretty black and white. And so, brethren, we cannot partake of the sin of immodesty with the world, but it doesn't stop there, does it? Because notice what he continues to say in verses 8 through 11. For you were formerly darkness. Who? You, Christians. You, Christians, were formerly worldly. You were uh, sinful. You were in darkness. But it says, now you are the light of the Lord. So you need to walk as children of the lights. To walk as children of the light or to walk as people who understand the principles, the guidelines of God, and then you allow that to become your guideline. And that's what repentance is all about, turning away from sin and turning unto God, turning back to God's ways and turning away from the worldly ways. And in verse 9 it says, For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead it says to do what? Instead it says to expose them. 
You see, brethren, it's not enough to just abstain from worldliness and modesty, which is just part of worldliness. We are commanded to expose it. We are commanded to rebuke it. And I ask the question, how often do we really expose and or rebuke the modesty when we see it? And I would like to say not nearly enough because we've allowed the culture to invade church. We've allowed society to invade the Lord's church to the point to where it's hard to even really see what sin is anymore because certain congregations, because they're struggling to have attendance. So let's not push anybody away. Maybe we shouldn't really preach too strongly on what God calls sin because, well, we need some of the younger families. We need to make a retain membership. And so let's just maybe... Let's not be so uh, let's not be so conservative, right? Isn't that the word we like to use? Let's let's not be too strict. Let's not be too Pharisaical. Well, what would God have us to do? Did God, when he met with the when he met with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jews, how many times did God call his own people hypocrites? How many times were they setting aside the commandments of God in order to keep their own traditions? Isn't that what Mark 7, 7 through 9 says? He says, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. You know, you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Teaching as uh, commandments the, the, the rules of men. So brothers and sisters, at the bottom line is, we need to make sure that we're doing all that God requires of us. And if it's sin, and there's sin in our body, there's sin in our family, there's sin in our church, then we call it out. We address it in love. With patience, with long-suffering, with the, with the desire that the person turns away from the sin and back unto the Lord. You see, it's all about the heart, isn't it? Isn't it about the attitude? Isn't there what, why we always say, there's a way that you can say something, right? There's two ways that you can say something. One that's going to offend and one that's going to be able to show somebody that comes from a good place. Well, we could do the same thing, brethren, with our, uh, as we take a stand against the modesty. And as we take a stand against the modesty, you know what the best way to do it? It's with our own dress. It's with our own appearance. It's with our own behavior. It's with our own speech. We need to set the example of what righteous living looks like to the world. And we must universally show our approval for modesty and righteousness and our disapproval for immodesty and unrighteousness. Brethren, it starts with our own actions. It starts with our own lifestyle because we have to understand that oftentimes we give approval to worldliness or righteousness by how we conduct ourselves. And so ask yourself, brethren, will others recognize your lifestyle? Will they recognize uh, that you do not support or approve of ungodliness? Brethren, at the end of the day, God is glorified when the light of truth exposes darkness. You know what that means when the light of truth exposes, exposes darkness? When righteousness exposes sin. Because God is the one who determines what sin is. And also, while our actions all need to be what leads the way, there comes a time when verbal rebuke is appropriate and necessary. Because we can't rebuke people if we're, uh, uh, if we're afraid to speak to them about the, the ways of the Lord. But for the other situations, brethren, that are going to rise on a daily basis, whether it's behavior, whether it's our speech, whether it's our appearance, there are ways uh, that we can conduct ourselves 
to show the world what God's example is. But we also know that there comes a time and a place where a, a, a verbal rebuke is necessary. I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, and the scriptures tell me, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be satisfied or be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And as a priest of God, Christians need to be fully aware, brethren, that we are God's representatives to the world. We, we need to understand that God is counting on us to show others the way. When he sent his apostles out, when he sent his disciples out, didn't he tell them to teach them all that I commanded you? He didn't say what was culturally acceptable. He didn't say what was easy. He said, teach them all that I commanded you, baptizing them into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Brethren, we must let our Christ-like examples lead others to God. We must shine the light of truth on the path to heaven so that others can find it for themselves. And we must let others see the love that is in us. We must let them, let them see the love of Christ that is in us. And so, brethren, the world that we know and the world that we see in the news every day, it's a mess. And we know it's a mess. But Christianity is the only way. It's the only hope for the world. Jesus is the only answer. Amen? Amen. Jesus is the only way. Amen? Amen? Jesus is the only hope. Amen? Amen? Brethren, righteousness and truth is the remedy for what the problems of this world are. And we need to teach them all that God requires of us. As Christians, we must resolve ourselves to be part of the solution. Because if we're not part of the solution, then we're part of the problem. And Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 30, he says, He who is with me, uh, or he who is not with me is what? Against me. Well, how do we know if somebody's not with Jesus? They're living contrary. They're doing things that are contrary to his teachings. But he says, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. You see, brothers and sisters, when we deny ungodliness, we, do un we deny ungodliness through sensible living. The Bible calls it sober living, but it just means sensibly. We need to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this world. And by doing so, brethren, godliness means that we live according to the example that Christ Jesus has set forth. I'm going to get ready to close this lesson down, but before we do, we're going to look at a couple slides that are the guidelines that are going to wrap up this series. And we are going to kind of uh, just look at it from how the world is going to look at us. You know, there was a guy named Jack Allen that's passed on now, and many of you know him. He was a wonderful Christian man. He used to use the word that Christy and I like, and that word was peculiar. He said Christians are a peculiar people. And he used to always use that word, and I love that word because you don't really hear it very often. But it just means that we're, we're, we're an unusual people. To who? To those in the world. Because we're supposed to live so very differently than them. We're supposed to dress differently and conduct ourselves differently. Have a different mindset. Have a different speech about us. Have a different way about us. And the people of the world are going to see and they're going to know as they examine our lives whether we're hypocrites or whether or not we really truly live for the love of Christ. So you see, brethren, there's a few things that I want us to understand, and that we are, before I close this down, that we are to look different to the world. Why? Because 1 Peter tells us that we're pilgrims, we're sojourners, and that this world is not our home, as we often sing. So as I close this lesson down, brethren, look at this next, uh, these next couple of slides. I want you to ask yourself some questions. I don't want you to answer today, but I want you to just think on these things, right? Will what we are wearing, will what we are doing with what we are saying bring glory to God? 
Did the interview that I heard yesterday where the person gives glory to God and then, and then, and then, and then proceeds to utter expletives, what, was that glory to God? Do you see how, brethren, we have to be very careful when we claim to be followers of Christ? Because when we go out into the world, we're God's representatives. So will what we wear, will what we do, will what we say, will it bring glory to God? Does what we are wearing meet or exceed God's standard for being modest? And there's examples that we have given throughout this series, and there's examples that you can look through through, uh, through uh, the Old and New Testament. Will our clothing and our speech and our actions, will it help or will it hurt my influence for Christ? The next slide that I want you to see, brethren, as we continue on with some questions, is our clothing too short? I want you to think about that. I want you to sit down. I want you to cross your legs. I want you to bend over. I want you to squat. I want you to reach up. I want you to do anything that may, uh, I want you to, to kind of see, to attest if your clothing's too short. Because if your bare thighs are showing, if your cleavage is out, your clothing is inappropriate and modest and, well, according to God, not appropriate. Some people might not like that answer, but as we gave, given God's standard, what has the standard been? Shoulders to the top of the knee. If there's bare flesh, shoulders to the top of the knee, what do we remember? We remember that God said even the bare thighs of a man, his priest, would, would bring about their death if it showed in service to the God, in service to God. So, brethren, we have to ask ourselves these types of questions. Remember, uh, with tops, with blouses, is your midriff showing at any time? Guys, remember, this standard applies to you, too. So when you're out in public, put your shirts on. Well, Dave... The, the, the society says it's okay for me to have my shirt off. What does God say? You see, when God gave the standard in the garden to Adam and Eve, was it just for Eve? No, the standard was for both men and women. So you see, brethren, is our clothing too tight? Are we revealing the forms of our bodies in such a way that highlights, that uh, emphasizes sexuality? Is it tantalizing, enticing, or tempting to those who may have impure thoughts? Because I don't know about you guys, but I don't really know who struggles with that or not. So if I go out into the world, but maybe I'm pleasing for maybe my spouse, but then if I'm pleasing to the others who see me inappropriately, what's it going to do for them? We've talked about Romans 14. The whole chapter talks about not putting stumbling blocks, uh, stumbling blocks in, uh, in our brother's way. The last slide that we'll look at, brethren, is, is the neckline too low? Remember that God covered Adam from the top of the shoulders to the bottom of the uh, to the bottom of the thighs, which is the top of the knee. So sit down when you're wearing certain blouses. Sit down when you're wearing certain clothes. What does somebody else see if they're standing looking down as they're talking with you? If you don't see, think this to be a problem, I can tell you we've all seen it. It could be a problem. And so, brothers and sisters, ask yourself that question. Sit down, and what can be seen as others stand above you? And also, bend over, what can others see? I know that sounds weird, but it's just the facts. There's some, uh, there's some garments that are being worn that are completely inappropriate and immodest, and many of our parents are allowing children to wear said garments as they try to, well, be culturally acceptable with their kids. And so that's the standard that was always set. Ask yourself these types of questions, brethren, because it's so very important that we do. Can our skin and our undergarments be seen through our clothing? That's something that we need to ask ourselves. Remember, Peter, he jumped in the water and he swam 100 yards to shore, but he put his outer garment on first. Why? Not because he thought Jesus was going to lust after him, but because he knew it was inappropriate and he had to be appropriate as he went into the presence of the Lord. And the last slide comes up with this. Is what we are wearing appropriate? Is it, respect, is it respectful? 
because of how we dress or act or speak, would someone make uh, mistake us for a worldly individual? Is our apparel, our actions, and our speech, brethren, stating that we are pure and holy or objects for somebody's desire? And then lastly, is our, uh, will our apparel, our actions, and our speech cause someone to lust after us, thus causing another to stumble, thus causing another to sin? You see, these are questions that we have to ask ourselves. We have to ask ourselves, because if you've been listening for the three weeks that I've been preaching on this, we've set forth the standard, we set forth what the Christian responsibility is, and now we have to be willing to ask ourselves, are we willing to take a stand? Brethren, we have to do this because we have to ask ourselves if our behavior, if our speech, if our apparel, is it proper for somebody professing godliness? Remember what it said in 2 Peter 1, 5-7? Make every effort at godliness. Make every effort at moral excellence. Make every effort at appropriateness. So you see, brethren, ask yourself if how we are dressed, is it proper for somebody professing to be a member of the kingdom of God, as a member of God's royal priesthood? Would God be proud to be go out with you, to seen with you in how you act, how you speak, how you dress? Or would God be disappointed? Would God turn away from you because of those things? Brethren, this has been an overdue series, and I hope that all of us will go home and will think upon these things. Because there are not, these are not the ramblings of some prudish, narrow-minded preacher. These are expectations that we see from a holy and righteous God. For be holy, for I am holy, is what God tells me. And brethren, I close it with this. Parents, if you're here and you're listening today, and I know that many of you are, if you're at home and you're watching this and, you, and you're asking about what I'm going to say next, and you're wondering about what I'm going to say next, parents are not called to be the friends of their children. Amen? We are not called to be our children's uh, friends. We are called to parent our children. We're called to guide them, to instruct them, to be their examples for life and godliness and righteousness. It's not easy. There's going to be kickback. There's going to be attitude along the way. But you have to ask yourself, is the fight worth it, knowing what this means for their eternal soul? You see, brethren, too many people nowadays just want their kids to fall in line and be, uh, be part of the crowd. And yet God doesn't want us to fall in line and be part of the crowd. God expects us to be a peculiar people, as Jack would say. He expects us to be uh, uh, an unusual people. People who are different from what you see in everyday society. Why? Because we're to be his representatives, to shine the light of Christ. And as we have to have conversations, hopefully our older women are having conversation with our younger women, or maybe even some of our older women if they, if that, if they find themselves in error. And our, and our older men are having conversations with our younger men and vice versa. Brethren, we need to have these conversations because we need to make sure that we're doing it in love. But when you do this, make sure that they know that as you have conversations with them, let them know that you care for them. Let them know that you love them. Let them know that you want their best for their eternal existence. And how do you do that? By living out the example that Christ set forth for us. Brethren, if you're here today and you're hearing this message, we thank you. Uh, I thank you for your time. I thank you for uh, your attendance here these last few weeks and listening to this. Because I know that I went over the last couple weeks, but I felt it necessary. I felt it necessary because this is a problem in the Lord's Church. This is a problem in the denominational world. This is a problem in the world in general. And we all need to be aware of it. And we need to be, uh, uh, we need to be aware of what our responsibility is.
And so if you're hearing this message today and you have questions afterwards, get with me. I'd love to study with you. We could sit down. I'll come to your house. We could open up the Bible, see what the scriptures teach. But if you're here today, though, and you've been pondering God, you've been wondering about God, you've been thinking about God, you've been, you've been trying to, uh, to, to, to read the scriptures and understand where you stand with God, and you realize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, you can be baptized today for the remission of your sins. You can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and you can have your sins washed away. God will add you to the kingdom. As Patrick sings the song of invitation. <laughs>